This is Salt and Spine. Keep everything chilled, especially yourself. Is this is just pie? This is not rocket science. This is important. It is full of love. That's important. That's what's important. Not does it look like the cover of the magazine? My pies rarely look like that. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine Stories Behind Cookbooks. You're tuning in for our special pie week to kick off spring 2021. We're taking the whole week to celebrate all things pie, including three all new episodes with pie book authors. And you just heard from our second pie week guest, Kate McDermott. Kate's been a baker for her whole life, learning beside her grandmother to make perfectly flaky dough and scrumptious fillings. After years spent experimenting with various doughs, Kate began to offer pie workshops, and they quickly started to sell out. She knew she was on to something, and it's been all things pie ever since. Called a pie guru by Sunset Magazine and the pie-making queen by Chowhound, Kate's name has become synonymous with the practice of home-baking pies infused with care and confidence. Thousands of people have joined her workshops, including her three-day pie camp in Washington State and around the world. Her first cookbook, Art of the Pie, was nominated for a James Beard Award. She followed that up with another book, Home Cooking, breaking from pie just long enough to offer fans delectable recipes for some of her best comfort foods. And now she's back with her third cookbook, Pie Camp. With a greater focus on technique, Pie Camp, the book, brings many of the most sought pie lessons to your home. Recipes in here range from a buttermilk bourbon pumpkin to raspberry peach sunset chiffon to a double chocolate banana pie, all so delicious. Kate joined us remotely from her Port Angeles, Washington home for this week's show. Uh, Stay tuned. We're playing a little pie-themed game, of course, at the end of the episode, and we've got featured recipes from Pie Camp for you. So let's head down to our virtual studio, where Kate McDermott joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Well, I'm just delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, we're thrilled to have you as well. Um, and here to talk about your latest book, I think, am I getting that right? Fourth book, maybe? More than four? Third. Third book, okay. Because <laughs> we had Art of the Pie and then Home Cooking. And now Pie Camp is your latest. Yep. Those yes. are the Cong- three. Yeah. My three girls. I, I think of them as my three daughters. I'm very proud of them all. I'm especially proud of my youngest girl. <laughs> yes. I love that. The youngest daughter. Congratulations. And we always like to start with our guests by learning a little bit more about you, your life, your sort of trajectory to where you got uh, to, to what got you to where you are today before we dive into the book a little bit. So I think you grew up in California. Is that right? I did. I grew up in Santa Barbara. Um, in Santa Barbara. And was food a big part of your life? And was baking a big part of your life when you were growing Baking was always, baking was always a very big part of my life. My grandmother was the cook and the baker in our home. I lived in a multi-generational home okay. and she lived with us. And so I learned, you know, kind of at my grandmother's elbow, how to make pie. The same thing with you know, how, how do we learn things when we're young? You know, how do we learn to walk? How do we learn to speak? How do we learn to bake? How do we learn to play music? You know, sometimes we're just very lucky that we have someone in, in pursuits like baking or cooking, that there's someone to model it for us. And I was very, very fortunate that I had her. Yeah. And I think I read that your grandma grew up on a farm in Iowa. Is that right? Yes, she did. 
It was the youngest of um, the youngest of five sisters. Okay. Well, my family are also Iowa farmers, so I was um, <laughs> really touched to, to read that you learned from your Iowa grandmother how to bake, because I learned a lot of baking from my Iowa grandmothers as well. You know, I think they've got a, uh, there's something about um, Iowa grandmothers. <laughs> I've heard from and pie. Iowa grandmothers yeah. and pies. I've heard from other really good pie makers. Oh yeah, my grandmother was an Iowa far- farm girl. You know, and it's like she yeah. baked pie. You know, and pie and cobbler. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And and when you were young and you were learning to bake from your grandmother, was it a lot of pie or was it a, a range of baked goods? Well, her specialty was pie. Okay. And uh, so that was, you know, I would just stand at the baking counter next to her and, you know, kind of watch. And sometimes she would say, oh, you know, put the put the shortening in now or put the flour in or, you know, put the water in. Oh, that's enough now. (laughs) There was never any set thing of like, oh, now we're going to teach you this or that. Um, And then I became so fascinated with baking. I was I was in the kitchen all the time baking cookies and cakes and pies and bread, you know. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid. Yeah. 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 Um, as soon as my mom would like, you know, cut me loose in there and say, yeah, you can go in there by yourself and do it by yourself. You know? Sure. And I'm guessing your grandmother probably was not working from many recipes, right? She was just working from her memory. That's exactly right. My grandmother, uh, I don't think I ever saw her with a cookbook or a recipe in hand. Yeah. And how about you as you were starting to bake as a kid? Did, did you turn to cookbooks? I mean, were cookbooks around or were you just sort of doing the same process of in, in imbibing the well, information from your grandma and practicing? I would say it's some of both. I learned to bake without measuring equipment. Uh, you know, it was the cup from the coffee cup, not a mug from right. the, the shelf and the the spoons from the cutlery drawer. And you know, and also there was a lady next door, Sadie, who I love to go over her house because we would make cookies and they turned out different every time. And we never had a, a set, anything set. I'd say, how about this? Put it, you know, this. And she said, even if you know it's going to be awful, she'd say, well, let's give that. Okay, we'll give that a try, you know. And if it was awful, you know, she didn't, she didn't, nobody chastised me. No, right. you know, I think if you're young and you don't have fear of failure. You can, we can put spins on things as adults and parents and things or, you know, and say, you know, well, that was interesting rather than saying that was really awful. Because <laughs> the kid's going to know whether it's good or not. But, you know, just to let them know, good, good job. Good try. Let's see what we do next time. Yeah. And what an interesting thing to learn as a kid, too, because I think many folks who come to baking later in life sort of feel like it is such a science and that it's so rigid and that that it is easy to sort of fail when you're baking. But did that influence you now as a professional baker to have learned that so early on that mistakes will be made? (laughs) I have to laugh at that because I am the farthest thing from a professional. I've never (laughs) been to culinary school. I'm a home cook. I'm a home baker. And um, I just kind of make it up (laughs) as I go, you know? Sure. Yeah, you bake for a living, but you're not a professionally trained pastry chef. No, um, I'm not professionally trained. And I've actually never sold a pie in my life. Sure. Interesting. So I, I, um, you can sell pies, you know, I, I, people come and they take classes from me and I write books about it. But uh, I kind of have a personal thing of like, I'm not, uh, I just, I don't sell, I just give. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you showed up at my door right now and I'd say, "Hey, here, want some pie?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and there's no price tag attached. 
No, but if you bring the pie pan back, you might get another. <laughs> yeah, right. So as you were growing up, you were really in, involved in cooking with your and baking with your grandmother in particular. And you called her Jeej, is that right? Yep. yep. Jeej. Am I pronouncing that right? You sure are. Okay. And as you're growing up, that's sort of a part of your life, but it's not something you're, you're thinking about doing for a career or for a living baking, right? I think you go into, did you go into music right away? Is I did. Right? I went into, um, I... I started working as a professional musician at uh, 15 or 16. Okay. Wow. And when did you sort of realize that pie would become a bigger part of your life? Did you make that (laughs) shift like gradually or was it sort of an overnight thing? I think it actually was kind of an overnight thing. There was um, in the early 2000s, I was making a lot of pies. Uh, I was I was married to my uh, my husband, my okay. last husband, and um, he loved pie. And I wanted to make you know I was making pie because I wanted to make the best pie I'd ever had. So I just kept making things and trying things, and uh, you know I wanted to hear these magic words of like, oh my gosh, that's the best pie I've ever had in my life, you know. And then. Um, you know, people would eat these other than him. And they'd say, well, could you teach me how to make this? So I said, sure. So, you know, that this first informal baking class, pie making class was in my kitchen. And uh, it just happened to be that it was two food writers and the chef that came. And the one of the food writers wrote a two-part article about it that um, won awards. And they said, uh, you know, at the end of that class, they said, you should be teaching this. You know, you're, I've, I've taught for years, you know, in music. And um, I said, well, okay. So I, I found iWeb on my computer uh-huh. this was years ago. Now this is like sure. 2008. And I put up a website and people started coming and the press started coming. And it really sort of was unexpected, nothing I had planned. And when one time when I put up a bunch of classes, you know, and then left for the day and I came back and like this arbitrary number of like 17 classes or whatever it was, I put them up and thought, well, these are never going to fill. This is too many. And I came back and like they were all filled. I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> well, maybe I should be looking at this a little more seriously. So yeah. that was in uh, 2009 or so. And everything else is just, it's really been word of mouth. All of wow. Yeah. And I mean, pretty quickly, your classes and your camps have become like the preeminent pie workshops, right? And oh. you've attracted a lot of high profile folks to them. And, and I think people travel from all over, right? To come to your... They do. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that about, about my work. Um, I'm always honored when someone comes. And yeah, people have come from all over the world. It amazes me that, you know, to, to learn to make pie or to make pie with me, or actually it's more like I get to make pie with you. And, you know, I learn things also from you. And sure. then I've, you know, I've also gotten to go to Europe and, and teach. And uh, that's just kind of who gets to do pie camp in France, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. And so the, when you start sort of doing this more, spending more of your time on the classes, is this before or after you lived on a blueberry farm? Because you oh, lived this on a blueberry was, farm for a while, I right? I did. Yeah, this is much, much later. I lived on the blueberry okay. farm in the, uh, gosh, that was around 1997, I think. Okay. Yeah, 97, 98, somewhere around in there. Yeah. Okay. And did that play any role in like your, your increasing number of pies that you were baking? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when I was living and working out there, the blueberry farmer was like, you know, can you make pies at 
Yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, and, um, right. but he wanted me to take pies to, with the blueberries from the farm to the Grange bake sale. And I really thought there's some really darn good pie makers in this little burg, this little village where I was, you know, living. And they had a, you know, wild blackberry pie contest every summer. And so I thought, well, this would be pretty good. And actually, I went to the store and bought packaged pie dough and uh-huh. rolled out the pies, you know, with that, you know. But And I felt like, well, okay, you know, sometimes you do that. And the pies... My pies when I uh, when I went back to check the the bake sale to see if they were still there, you know, they were they were gone, you know. Yeah. Somebody liked them. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just I wanted to learn, you know, really to be able to understand pie dough in depth. When the pie bug really bit me of learning how to do it, sometimes I would be making five different iterations of pie dough in a day just to see, okay, what is the ratio of things that I should be using? Should I be using cream cheese? Should I be using vodka? Should I be using egg or vinegar or whatever? And then once I settled on, you know, like, well, this is a good recipe. Then I did a vertical testing of, okay, which fat? Which butters, which flowers. And so it, it was a, that was a two and a half year foray into pie dough. Yeah. Do you feel like you're still experimenting with dough and still learning things to this day? Absolutely. I think that pie is such a large, immensely large subject that one lifetime would not be enough to know everything. Yeah. What do you think it is about pie that's so special? We've talked to some other authors who've written books ex- sort of explicitly on pie. And this is always a question I like to ask folks because there's something that feels special about pie versus other baked goods. What do you think it is? I get asked that uh-huh. too. Okay. And I really feel that there is something about the image that pie brings up of memories, memories for us. When we say cake, we say, oh, it's a celebration, a birthday or something. And, you know, that's wonderful. Sure. And when you say pie to someone, you know, they kind of get this little faraway look. And they go, oh, pie. And, oh, I remember my grandmother's pie. Or I remember a time when. Or we always used to have this pie then. And I don't hear that about cake in the same way. Pie just seems to be a wonderful, it's almost like the perfect carrier for memories, for love for gatherings. It is it is so much more than just a bunch of ingredients that we put together. But it really is a carrier that, you know, we're we're putting our hearts into these things so much of the time. Phil. Yeah. So I think I think it's I think it's the heart we put in. I think it's the love that makes pie different. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I love that um, idea of memory, too, because you write about in your first book, The Art of the Pie, or Art of the Pie, rather, about being with your grandmother, with, with Jeej, when she made her last pie, and that she had a stroke, right? And that the memory of how to make a pie was still strong for her, right? Yes, she... Um... She came into the kitchen and it was really apparent that something had happened. It was like, you know, I think it, I, it was like her file cards were all ruffled. And mm-hmm. um, my I, everybody was kind of like, well, what do we do? What do we do? You know, and I don't I have no idea why I this came out of my mouth. But I looked at her and I said, Jeej, can you make a pie? And she just her head snapped around and she just looked right at me and she said, well, yes. And <laughs> 
okay. So I got her stuff out, you know, the bowl uh-huh. and the flour and the Crisco and, you know, and she just, it was like this ingrained memory for her. It was so, it was just something that was so deep. You know, the grooves were so deep. And then truly she got to a place where, you know, she started to roll out the dough and, um, and she couldn't finish. And she gave me, she handed a rolling pin to me and I will never, ever, ever forget that. Yeah. It was, it was really like she was passing on her pine mantle to me. Yeah. That that's so special that you were there for that and that you still have, you know, that memory and that, that association with her and with pie. We'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Kate McDermott. Don't go anywhere. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Salt and Spine. This week, you'll find a chance to win your own copy of Pie Camp, and you'll also find two recipes from the book. We love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors every week to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Carla Hall to today's guest, Kate McDermott, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, and so much more. We also just launched our new Salt and Spine Cookbook Club, where we cook along with one of our featured authors each month and then come together for a virtual dinner party with the author. It's a lot of fun. Salt and Spine truly brings cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our efforts to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content, starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. And now back to our conversation with Kate McDermott, author of Pie Camp. So you're, you're teaching these classes um, and and they're becoming very popular. I know Ruth Reichel becomes one of your students at one point. I have to stay there. <laughs> Go ahead, interject, please. Ruth Reichel, I was very fortunate to be asked to make pie with Ruth Reichel. Uh-huh. Ruth Reichel is a tremendous pie maker. So she was not a student. That was uh, she. I got the word that um, there was going to be a filming of a series that Ruth was doing, and they wanted to film Ruth and I making pie together. Okay. Yeah. Learning from each other, perhaps. Yeah. And just having a good old time. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. So, so obviously you're, you're being called on as an expert in pie making by Ruth Reichel, by others. Your classes are becoming very popular. When did you sort of get the inkling that you might want to write your first cookbook? How did that come out? Now we're going to go back to like 2009. I hadn't been teaching very long and I started to get inquiries from agents, literary agents and publishers, editors and publishers. And at that time, you know, I really kind of felt like, well, I'm not ready to do this. You know, I, I ah, really a book. Um, So I, I, you know, never burn your bridges. So I said, you know, well, thank you very much. Um, uh, I maybe we could talk at another time. You know, basically, not right now. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I'm not ready. And then I was going to teach in New York, and my, um, I got an email from what is now my publisher, and it said, um, we see you're going to be teaching in New York. We'd love to talk to you. Would that be possible? And uh-huh. I looked at the address, and it was like 505th Avenue. I thought. That's a pretty serious address. Yeah. And uh, so I said, absolutely, I'd be delighted to come and speak with you. And I um, taught the pie class the, the day before. And then the next morning, I walked down Fifth Avenue to um, walk through that door at 505th Avenue and up to the um, 
you know, the elevator opened and there I was at W.W. Norton Countryman Press. And I had a wonderful conversation with Antrisman, my editor, and I just kept telling her stories. And she just said, tell us more, tell us more. You know, and at the end, they said, you know, we would love to do a book with you. And we have now done three books together, along with partnering with Andrew Scrivani uh, with the photos. And I really, I have a dream team. I, we have done three books together with virtually the same team and we're all friends still. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very lucky, Yeah, but nothing that was planned. Yeah. What what do you mean by that? Nothing that was planned. Well, when (laughs) I was in Santa Barbara going to high school, it was a very small girls school and there, there was a hundred in the high school. And so I had the same English teacher for four years in a row and I would write papers and I would get the same grade on my paper every time it would be B minus needs more development. So I would go make an appointment to talk with Mrs. Greaves, who I really have tried to find and um, say, Mrs. Greaves, I really want to do better. How can I, how can I write better? And she said, well, just develop it more. And so, well, what does that mean? She said, well, it just needs more development. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. And I would still just, you know, no matter what I would try, the papers came back, B minus needs more development. So I really felt that I just was not, you know, writing was not my thing. When I went to college, I started getting really good grades on my papers. And I thought, wow, is college easier than my, my prep school was? Right. And then when I turned in the proposal for even though they wanted to do a book with me, you still, you know, you still turn in a proposal. Sure. And so I turned it in and my agent looked at one of the pieces in there and was the piece on Jeej. Uh-huh. And she said, I wish only once that I could write a piece like this. Yeah. <laughs> but this is coming from somebody in, in the professional field. So I still sort of feel like uh, I'm a pretender in the writing field, but I'm very honored that people like my little stories. You know, they're just, it's just what goes on in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, your books have done incredibly well, right? Your first book in particular was highly lauded and named a finalist in many categories, best book of the year by many publications. How did that feel to sort of go knowing that backstory of like your high school English teacher to that? Right. Well, I always used to say to my son, who's also a tremendous baker and cook, among other things that he does to make a living. Uh-huh. I always said, well, if I ever get nominated for a James Beard Award, you're going to come to New York with me. Well, guess what? He was on the plane with me. I did get nominated for a James Beard in the baking category for uh, for Art of the Pie. That was the 2017. And, yeah. uh, you know, as soon as that happened, I said, you're coming with me because <laughs> you got to be as good as your word. And that was pretty, that was an amazing experience to be a first time writer, to be writing books at, you know, in my 60s and have that happen. Unbelievable. It's still, all of this is still pinch me. Yeah, it's incredible. And and that brings us to your latest book, Pie Camp. What made you decide it was time for another book? And what might people find if they're fans of yours different in this book? Um, If they're already, you know, they've baked their way through Art of the Pie, what do they get this time? Well, this time you get more in-depth. You'll learn to make pies in Art of the Pie, absolutely. What you'll find in Pie Camp. It's very, very fast paced. There's lots more doughs that I have continued 
to develop and learn. There's a tremendous gluten-free dough recipe in pie camp that I'm just in love with. Yeah. Um, and then there are all sorts of categories of sweet pies that were not in Art of the Pie. There's chiffon pies. There's more custard pies. There's information also on how to make small pies, little pilots. And during this particular time when COVID is in our world, a full-size pie may not be what you want to put on the table because right. your table of those being at your table may be only, you know, one or two or three people. So let's not push pie aside. Let's say, well, let's size this down and make little pilots. So there's a lot of information about that. And plus there's also information on um, ice cream. And then what I call, uh, you know, it's like the pie cousins, you know, crisps and crumbles. I've got a sonker in there from uh, North Carolina. And also I have in there when we do open up, and you want to make 28 pies for a wedding like I did for uh, <laughs> okay. the daughter of a very close friend. You know, how to stage that so you're not having to tear your hair out and do it all at once, you know, but how to stage that over a number of weeks. Sure. What do you think uh, you, you in the book in Pie Camp, you offer three tips for pie baking and you say they're also three tips for life in a sense, too. Can you tell us about those a little bit and what what sort of your key lessons are for home bakers wanting to perfect the art of pie? Well, the three rules, Kate's rules of pie making in life are number one is keep everything chilled, especially yourself. Now, we want to be keeping our fats chilled. Butter starts getting soft at 59 degrees and our hands are uh, normal temperature of hands is in, is in the 90s. Yeah. So if you're touching butter and it's, you know, getting soft on you and you want it to be chilly and cold, to be working with your pastry, wouldn't it be a good idea to maybe keep yourself chilled? So, you know, hold on to ice cubes and, uh, or put your hands in a, a water bath or, you know, don't, don't light your wood stove on, <laughs> on a, until your pie making is done. But also along with, you know, keep everything chilled, especially yourself is this is just pie. This is not rocket science. This is important. It is full of love. That's important. That's what's important. Not, does it look like the cover of the magazine? Hmm. My pies rarely look like that. You know, yeah. it's just make the pie. So that's yeah. rule number one. Keep everything chilled, especially yourself. Number two is to keep your boundaries. Now, in pie making, that means don't fill up the pie pan with a big, red, juicy berry fruit until it's like three inches above, four inches above the pie pan, because I can guarantee in the bake it's going to leak out and you're going to have what I affectionately call a clean the oven pie. <laughs> yeah. And that's the one that sets off your smoke alarms and right. you know, you're okay. So keep your boundaries. And I think that's a good lesson in life also. And pie oh. making is a way just, we can kind of say, okay, this is, this is good right here. You know, even when I'm rolling dough, I don't go all the way out to the edge because it gets too thin. Right. And, you know, that's another thing that happens to life. If we go out to the edge or we push ourselves to the edge until there's nothing left, you know, we're yeah. like, oh, my God, I'm falling apart here, you know. So keep your boundaries. And number three is to vent. And I think venting in an appropriate way in life is a learned skill. In pie making, it's a way that we can practice that. We can do a lattice top on there and have natural venting, or we can just take a, a, a knife or a fork and, you know, kind of put some creative vents on something. But these are the three lessons that, you know, I kind of feel that I'm continuing to learn in my life to be chill, 
to keep my boundaries and to vent in an appropriate way. Yeah, I think they're great lessons. And I love the cooling of your hands because I feel like I'm always focused on like freezing the butter or, you know, grating the frozen butter and so much on the fat and keeping that cold that I I don't even think about my hands or sometimes I'll make sure my surface is cold, right? Put something Mm -hmm. frozen on the countertop before you roll it out. But your hands or even I know you've said you can even freeze your flour for a little bit. Oh, I do. I've got a bag of I always have a five pound bag of flour in my freezer for pie making. Yeah, so smart. Yeah. Do you have a favorite pie? Is that a loaded question? I do. I do. do Um, uh, Well, I say I have two. Um, In fruit pie, I love a fresh peach pie. I just think that that is food of the gods. Hard to beat. Um, Yeah. yeah. For the everyday, I'll make a chess pie. It's Mm. a basic, I I call them kitchen cupboard pies in in pie camp. And these are the pies that you would just make with eggs, milk, sugar, butter. You know, it's, it's pie. It's probably, this is stuff that my grandmother knew how to do, you know? Right. So, and then, you know, always a chicken pot pie. Oh Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have three. Yeah, I know. I know. It's such a hard question. We're a show on cookbooks. So I always like to ask before we move to the game, if there are any cookbooks that have been really influential to you. I know you said they weren't a big part of your you know, baking education when you were growing up. But as you became an author yourself, as you sort of continued to perfect your pie making, have there been authors or, or cookbooks that have been really important to you? Absolutely. First of all, I do have my copy of the Betty Crocker cookbook for boys and girls still. Okay. Um, I used to love to look at the pictures in there and make some of the things out of there when, when I did, when I was given that cookbook, you know, it's yeah. not that I didn't always create without uh, recipes and things. Sure. Um, Marion Cunningham has mm. always been a big, a big support and influence in my life. And I feel very, very fortunate that I was able to meet her. And, um, Gosh, you know, I think uh, I, I have a really big collection. Of, well, it's not as big as some. But, you know, maybe I have 500 cookbooks, which to me seems That's pretty like big, a lot. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, there was someone else in my younger years when I was first cooking as a, as a young woman was um, I, I do have the, you know, the Diet for a Small Planet and Laurel's Kitchen. And, you know, those were books. And the Tassahara Bread Book. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. These are books that... Uh, were seminal for many of us in, you know, I want to make bread. Okay, here, here's how to do it. You know, so yeah, yeah, those are those are great, great books to look to. Um, before we move to the game, I just wanted to ask one more thing, because you, you talk about pie having such a sense of memory, and heart being in pie. And you, I want to ask about your decision to include, maybe we call it an epilogue? Is that what we call it at the end of pie camp about meeting? Afterwards, the afterwards, the afterwards about meeting your biological sister for the first time and learning too, that she was a pastry chef and that there was the shared love of pie. What can you talk about that and your decision to include that in the book and why that was important to have here for your readers? Yeah. um, I am adopted. And I had a wonderful childhood. I, you know, I, I had great parents and a great upbringing, but I was always curious. You know, yeah. you know, is there someone who looks like me? And so I searched for uh, 25 years and finally was able to uh, first uh, get into contact with um, my birth parents separately. And that was semi-successful. Uh, my birth mother 
uh, didn't want to have contact with me. My birth father was very gracious and I was able to meet him. So, okay, that was great. And then I sort of put everything on the back burner would, you know, do some searching every while more to see, you know, who else, who else can I dig up here? And I found that, um, you know, I, I saw that I had my sister who was on Facebook. And so I, we weren't connected, but I knew she was my sister. So I sent her a text message on Facebook and um, didn't hear anything. So I thought, oh, well, okay. So now it's the night before I am uh, going to be speaking in New York on book tour for home cooking. And I get this reply two years later from my sister. It says, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that there was this whole other other file on Facebook for messages. And I just saw your message from two years ago. And oh my God, yes, I, you know, yes, we want to be in touch. And yes, yes, yes. And oh, by the way, my two daughters live in New York and we see you're going to be speaking there tomorrow. Would it be okay if they came? And I was like, aha, uh-huh, it would be amazing. So I got to meet my two nieces first. And then um, the night before the photo shoot started in New York for Pie Camp. My sister and I met face to face for the first time. She lives in the Virgin Islands and was up visiting her girls and we made arrangements for her to be, to come and for us to meet. And it was, I, I, it was one of the most amazing experiences I have ever had in my life. Uh, and I do write about that in Pie Camp and we have remained in contact. I was just texting with her earlier today and said, Oh, I, I'm going to be on, um, going to be on this podcast. <laughs> and, um, so I've been to visit her. She's been to visit me. I'm in contact, you know, always with my nieces and my nephews and this sense of family and finding out so many different things that, uh, as I say in the book, in that story, you know, the fact that she, in one of her placements, after culinary school, was in Santa Barbara at a bakery that I used to go to when she was there. Yeah. And, wow. you know, this is, as I say in there, you know, the, the apple doesn't drop too far from the tree. Yeah. So, and what made you decide to include that? I mean, it's such a personal story and, and it's so beautifully written too. I mean, it brought a tear to my eye the first time I read through that. Why did you feel like that, you know, was so important to include in your book? I think... Um, one of the things I'm known for is writing uh, personal narrative in my books. And there was so much information in Pie Camp. And I had other stories ready to go in there. And my agents, my editor said, we don't have room for everything. Yeah. And the one story that I felt was really, really important is this story about Helen and me meeting. And what we did on that day when we met was then to go to my niece's apartment and we made one of her pies, one of my sister's pies yeah. uh, with her recipe. And I include that in the book because I feel like it's the essence of what we're putting in that pie. That's That right there is the essence of the love and the heart that we are creating and giving when we're making pie. Yeah. So I guess that's why I wrote it because I wanted to share with someone how how pie making can reach in such a in such a wonderful warm way, um, so something as simple that we make with our hands and heart. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it does exactly that. And I'm, I'm so glad you included it. It's such a beautiful little essay um, at the end of Pi Camp. I'm glad you like it. Yes. Um, so we always end with little games. So we've got our, our four stacks of cards here. And I think we'll play a pie themed game, of course, today, if that's okay. Okay. With you. okay. Um, so the four cards are different categories. We've got proteins, which, as you would guess, are proteins, vegetables, also self-explanatory. Um, we have a third stack, which is flavors. So these are herbs, spices, flavoring agents. Um, and then the final deck we have here is a secret ingredient deck. So these are sort of, they can be sort of normal, or they can be sort of more obscure ingredients that are, are a little um, less frequently used. So I thought we'd play a couple rounds, and I'll let you sort of pick and choose what you want to draw from and see if you might be able to bake a pie. How we might fashion okay. either a sweet or a savory pie, or maybe a cousin, a pie cousin, as you say, mm-hmm. maybe a cobbler or something. Um, so what, what do you think we should start with? Oh, let's start with secret ingredients for, okay. for 200. Let's, let's shuffle these a bit here. Oops. Okay. And go. Oh man. All right. We, we drew durian. Okay. Have, have you had durian? Uh, no, but I understand that it has like a vanilla flavor to it. Something like um, that. Is that right? It's very. It has a very pungent smell. Yes, uh, I know that part. I had it once, but I was not a fan, and so I'm not having fun. <laughs> fond taste memories okay. of it at the moment. Okay. But the description is that it's sweet and creamy. Um, okay. and, and the card says that it's outside smells like hot garbage. Um, not my word, <laughs> the card's words. Okay. Um, okay. All right. So we're going to set that one over there. Let's go yeah. to the, um, you had the. Um, we have proteins, vegetables, and flavors. Oh, let's go for it. We need, we need a protein, I guess. Protein with it. Okay. Okay. The protein we have is ground beef. Oh, God. <laughs> I think okay. we're going in the savory direction here, maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it looks like it looks like we might be. Um how about the um the flavor? Let's do a flavor, okay. Let's see. Um cilantro. Okay. And uh let's pick one from the other deck just for the heck of it. We'll throw in a vegetable too. Yeah, since we're going oh, in that direction. And tomato. Okay, so we're gonna make a uh choose your own seasoning pie. This is going to be a savory pie, and we're going to uh, put it in a pie pan that's not going to have a crust on the bottom. It's basically going to be like a meatloaf in a pie, and so you're going to you're going to mix the uh, mix some of the tomato and uh, the cilantro in with your ground beef and some salt and pepper. Maybe you want to put some chili powder in there. That might be good with that. And then we're going to put a top crust on. <laughs> And we're going to uh, turn the oven to, actually for this one, because it's meat, we're going to turn the oven to 500 for like 15, 20 minutes. So it gets a good blast of heat. And then we're going to turn it down to like 350, 375 and continue baking until the meat is done. And the durian, we're going to leave that outside. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is a hard one. (laughs) I think that sounds great. So it's almost like a pot pie of sorts, a big pot pie. Yeah, yeah. The other thing we could do with that is to do that same kind of filling, and then it, you know, if we were lucky enough to get the potato card to um, put like a shepherd's pie filling on top of that with some yeah. butter and some salt and some cheddar cheese that we would mix in with the potatoes when we're mashing them. 
Yeah, that would be delicious mm-hmm. too. Okay, let's mm-hmm. do one more before we end. end okay, you're, you're not putting the durian has gone away, right? Durian's gone. Let's let's okay. hope for a little bit easier ingredient this time. Should we start with secret ingredient again? Work our way back from yeah. there. Let's go the other way this time. The other way. Okay. Okay. Let's start with the vegetable. <laughs> well, actually, a vegetable that's going to put us back into a savory one. So that's let's true. go for um, let's go for flavor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We have. Paprika, which is kind of savory again. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. And we want to pair it with a secret ingredient. Yeah, let's pair it with a secret ingredient. Okay. Let's see what we get here. Oh, okay. <laughs> liquid nitrogen. <laughs> have you ever worked with liquid nitrogen? Um, uh, no, but um, I have an idea here. Okay. okay. And um, let's part? let's yeah let's let's pull another secret ingredient. Another secret ingredient. Okay. Can we do that? So, yeah, okay. of course. Oh, okay. We've got kumquat. Okay, so we're going to make a kumquat cream pie. Ah. Um, okay, and we're going to season this a little spicy. You know, we're just going to add a little bit of paprika in there along with some cinnamon. Okay, can I add some other spices in there? You know, okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on w- with our kumquats on, uh, we're going to save some of the kumquats. Okay, and we're going to take the um, the liquid nitrogen because doesn't that it sort oh, of that freezes stuff. Yeah, freezes, crystallizes them. Huh. Okay. So wow. we're going to cut some of the uh, the kumquats into small little pieces, you know, okay. just slice them really, really thin. And then we're going to freeze them. And um, we're going to just kind of sprinkle those on top as soon as it comes out of the oven. And I have no idea why I'm going to do that, but that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. I think it sounds delicious. A slightly spicy kumquat cream pie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for putting up with our game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know that, that deck needs the, it needs a fruit component. It does. You know, I didn't you know? make deck, so I can't, I can't take credit for what's here, but it, it usually works well for our purposes. But yeah, I should have weeded out a little <laughs> fruit category for you. That's fine. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kate. This was so much fun. Oh, you're so welcome. I, you know, it's been really, really fun for me, too. And um, as I say to everybody right now, uh, especially during this time, be happy, stay home, and make pie. I love that. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our website, saltandspine.com. There you'll find two recipes from Kate McDermott's Pie Camp. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes and join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering digital classes for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back later this week with more stories behind the pie cookbooks you love. 
On our podcast, detectives from small towns all around the world give us their firsthand accounts of the memorable crimes they investigated in their small town. The new season of Small Town Dicks is out now. But if you're new to the podcast and you want to start at the beginning, we have over 125 episodes for you to binge. So please join us for an original take on true crime. Small Town Dicks, available wherever you like to listen. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>